Welcome to the Faith, Finances, and F-Bombs podcast, where we inspire you to manage your money, find your soul, and cover your ears. Join host Hartley Wright, a certified spiritual director, and Kevin Bartolacci, director of research and education at Sunvold Financial Investment Advisory Firm. Together, they hope to help you discover the benefits of enriching your life as they entertain one another, and hopefully you too. Hello, listener. Thank you for joining us. I hope you have listened to our previous episode because we are beginning this episode mid-conversation, picking up where we left off addressing our concerns and frustrations related to the epidemic. Let Let me call it that. Related to the epidemic of gun violence in America. This is truly a part two episode, and I am emphasizing this so you understand Kevin and I did not part ways and reconvene. We literally are picking up the conversation, and our context will not address any violent shootings which may have happened in the interval between episodes. I pray there are none. I promised before the break to share a sample selection of scripture to help us understand God's perspective on this. The Bible was written for redemptive purposes. You mentioned the commandment, Mm -hmm. thou shalt not kill. That's not up for debate. Right. It's pretty clear. (laughs) Violence and weapons, particular weapons would be, just think of uh, swords and uh, spears and stones and slings. Uh, There is weaponry that is talked about. And so we can't find any writings about guns, but violence and weapons are referenced. And violence entered the human story through the children of Adam and Eve. Genesis 4 tells us, while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And it seems after this, violence soon became a regular occurrence. A mere two chapters later, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence And God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. That's from Genesis 6, verses 11 and 13. So clearly God hates violence. We see that especially in the prophets, and here's just a few prophets. I'm bringing up prophets because these were actual uh, messengers of God. In the book of Ezekiel, God says to Ezekiel, have you seen this son of man? Is it a trivial matter for the people of Judah to do the detestable things they are doing here? Must they also fill the land with violence and continually arouse my anger? The prophet Hosea records Ephraim feeds on the wind. He pursues the east wind all day and multiplies lies and violence. Obadiah said, because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. If the Bible is to be trusted, and I believe it should be trusted and needs to be trusted, violence is cause for divine destruction of the people who practice and countenance it. Let me say something about this statement, and then I'll let Kevin speak finally, and we will pick up and continue this discussion. I get people asking and commenting about this a lot, about how, why is it that God would go and destroy people, and why would God do such devastating things to people? It seems like he's very violent in himself, and so uh, how can that be justified? And I do want to point out a couple of things. Uh, One, in many of these cases where God is speaking about destroying people and bringing people to an end, a simple fact of the matter is, is, is Scripture records this, that he gives people opportunities to adjust their lifestyles, to do something different. He gives them 
guidance and counsel and says the way that he has called them to live, a way that he wants them to live. But ultimately, he will let people, because of free will and because of choice and because of his love, he will allow people to live how they want to live. A lot of times this destruction is just things that people have brought on. I know that's a a tense thing to say there. But the other thing I want to say about this is God and Jesus are one. You might hear someone say, well, the God of the Old Testament was very angry and unforgiving and destroyed his people and destroyed lands and promoted violence and encouraged violence. And that would be true. But that God is the same God who is in Jesus. Many of those same people in the conversation about Jesus will talk about things in a different way of, uh, in terms of his grace and his merciful. So they put in a juxtaposition, this angry God and this merciful Jesus. And I just want to say Jesus was fundamentally about attending to the people in his midst, sitting with everyone, meeting the needs, uh, feeding them. And feeding was not just a spiritual practice. The body needed nourishment. The body was valued. The person was valued as a whole person. How does God stand on this? That would be the question. How does God feel about it? Well, I think we I think it should go without saying. Yeah. If you're asking that question, God certainly isn't pleased with America. He's probably much more in terms of gun violence, he's he feels like uh Japan has done a much better job than America or Americans. Yeah, I would think so. Uh well, everyone has done a better job. Yes, in America. That's true. Yeah. Um, in that respect. Right. I think it was our second podcast. We had some dialogue about, it was when we were having the discussion on, is God good? Mm-hmm. And in that conversation, I don't know that it made it through the final edits, but at some point in there, we talked about a recent shooting that had happened then being hate crime related. Right. We might've had that mentioned because there was a Christian overtone of like, well, because you people live this way, we're going right. to do that. So, Analysts see a link now between bias-motivated gun violence and a rise in hate groups and toxic discourse in the United States targeting vulnerable, often marginalized population. There's an interesting thing culturally, and I don't know that we've talked about this in the previous podcast, but if we define kind of the driving force behind the United States culture, it is individualism. And many of the other cultures on the globe have more of a collective. When I saw the picture of yesterday's shooting in Half Moon Bay, the thing that jumped out with me is he's Asian. Typically, you don't see this kind of violence in collective cultures, which China, Korea, those cultures would fit into that collective. So that one kind of caught me off guard a little bit. I was expecting the traditional <laughs> angry white male, <laughs> and it wasn't. And I was exactly. Like, and, not huh. as, and not as old either. Wasn't this guy like sixty-seven? Yeah, that's what I. That's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, oh, I did not expect him to be to be that old. To be that old. Yeah, I agree. He was older. He was a different race than I was expecting, and I was like, oh, well, that broke the mold for me. Boy, I don't know. I, like I say, just don't get it. I've I've thought for several years now that we're missing something in the debate, and I'm going to use the word anger, which it may not be right, but I would think you'd have to be so angry to load up a weapon. Go to wherever you're going to go and start blasting people away. I can't imagine the anger level. It's hard for me to fathom. Now, I understand we have, obviously, people who have done this before who are mentally incompetent, and maybe they were, the devil was talking to them. You know, that's been one. I was told to go kill John Lennon. Mm -hmm. Things like that. So you got those that are kind of outliers, but 
over the last 20 years, it just seems to me that a lot of these people are just angry. Yes. The Educational Fund to Stop Gun Violence did a study and found that two-thirds of mass shootings are linked to domestic violence. Mm -hmm. I guess they did the study between 2014 and 2019 and had two conclusions. In more than two-thirds, 68.2% of mass shootings analyzed, the perpetrator either killed family or intimate partners or the shooter had a history of domestic violence. Mm. That was one thing they found. And the second, domestic violence-related mass shootings were associated with a greater fatality rate. So on average, only one in six people survive a domestic violence-related mass shooting compared to one in three people for non Wow. Mass domestic violence related shootings. Well, you know, for years, the statistics were pretty clear that most people who committed homicide knew the victim. And then it was also clear that it was typically the same race on the same race. Yes. Perpetrator and victim. Whites killing whites, blacks killing blacks. This more recent development was just people walking into a business or a church or a grocery store and just a school and just opening fire is has not been historically what we've seen in the United States. And that's troublesome. Right? I mean yes. as as just a guy who's yeah, around town people, a lot. People that's just shooting people. Yeah. yeah. If if I think, well, the odds are pretty clear that I'm only gonna get killed by somebody I know and given my family dynamics, I feel pretty comfortable none of them are going to kill me. But if this keeps happening more and more, do I go to the MU game? Do I go to the church service? Do I go to the bowling alley on a Friday night? I've chosen not to live in that kind of fear, but I understand why it, it grips certain people and they just become paralyzed to go, I'm not, I'm not going to the mall. I can understand it as I'm well. I'm ordering on Amazon. Yes. I'm not getting out there. I can understand it as well. Yeah, it's... It's just different. It's not something I grew up with. I'm right. not sure how to adjust to it. I have a play that I've written that is titled Ricochet. The play begins with a gunshot, and we are thrust into a room with these two teenagers, one holding a gun and a third teenager that is on the floor. An accidental shooting has just happened. The play takes place in the aftermath of this. I'm mentioning that because this, this has been a big deal for me for some time. I need to bring that back to the surface because of this late news. What year did you write that? I wrote that in, I can't remember when I first wrote it, but the first stage presentation of it, I believe, was 2014. It is a good play to be published among youth because it's, it's three youth that are, I mean, mm -hmm. none of these kids, uh, if I remember right, I think the oldest kid there is 15, maybe 16. So it's just it's just the stat that I was just reading. Right. When I read that about, what, what did I say, 2000. 70 accidental, unintentional shootings mm -hmm. in a five-year five period of kids under 18. I've written a, I wrote a play about that. Yeah. I hesitated writing that, resisted it for some time because I thought, I just don't know what purpose this would serve. I didn't want to bring attention to it. I didn't right. want to glorify gun violence. I didn't really want to have a play that encouraged gun violence, and I don't think it does that. I think in the end, it... it uh, it helps people understand that, hey, this is a serious thing. Would that be a play that could be performed by a high school theater group? Yes. Would they perform it in the high school? I, they could. I would think that would have some power to it. Yeah. It's definitely powerful. To see it is very powerful. Right. So these kids were just 
It's definitely un- unintentional. Yeah. The story behind the story is uh, the kid didn't even really know it was loaded. He didn't know it was loaded. Uh, which did the six-year-old? Well, we assume so. In real life. Right. Uh, I can tell you when, when I was shooting Red Wing Blackbirds, I knew it was loaded because I had loaded it. Right. Let's talk about uh, an argument that makes me just go, seriously? So I did have this argument a few years back. It was after a mass shooting, and uh, it was a Democratic-controlled Congress. And I was told by some of my clients and people I hang out with, oh, you know, we can't uh, we can't let the government take our guns because how are we going to defend ourselves from whatever the government was going to do bad to its population? You know, we got to have the militias, and we got to do this, and we got to do this. And maybe maybe I don't understand the situation, but I said, okay, I don't think you understand the gravity of the U.S. military. If they want to come get your guns, you're not going to be able to stop them. Yeah, that's true. They have more weaponry than all of the individual firearm owners combined. Combined? Yeah. I mean, they could fly drones and bomb you from hundreds of miles away. If they really wanted to take you out, they would. And you having 200 rifles at your house isn't going to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Like I said, maybe I don't understand the situation. But if, if the argument is we have to keep our guns so the government doesn't become tyrannical, I don't think they quite understand the military complex that we have in this country. Yeah, probably, obviously not. I, when I heard that, I was like, huh, so your 457 is going to take down a tank. Betting it won't. Probably not. But I don't know. I, I, I'm not a gun owner. Maybe I'm just yeah. ignorant of the whole situation. And you know that the majority of guns are owned by a very small number of people. So when you see those statistics that say the United States has 400 million guns, there are about 393 million privately owned firearms in the United States. They are primarily concentrated in a small number of people. Some of these are collectors. Some of them are malicious. I just thought that argument seemed kind of weak when you're saying we have to own guns because we don't want the government to take over our lives. Like, huh, do you have a cell phone? <laughs> do you have an internet connection? <laughs> They're already watching everything you yeah, do. Yeah, that is very true. Very true. They're very much aware. Gun shows are very fascinating to me, too, because those tend to happen too frequently. And this goes back to some of your statistical problems of tracking all this. So there's some loophole in the law about gun shows and licensed dealers and whatnot. And, of course, individual sales are not tracked by ATF or whoever tracks these things. What do you mean, individual sales? Yeah, if I have a gun and I sell it right. to you, they have no idea. Oh, like, like personal, like mm-hmm. individual. Yeah. You don't have to report that you're selling it. I don't think so. I don't have to report that I've purchased it. I don't have to do a background check on you. That's true. If if I've got a gun in my basement and you say, right. hey, I could really use that uh, six or whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, how much you want to give me for it? We're done. There's no background check. Yeah, that's right. But But in a public place, they do, right? There's some loophole about gun shows you brought that up that made okay. me think of it okay so there's something okay, so about gun shows gun shows aside for a minute mm-hmm. like a pawn shop if i go into a pawn shop and get a gun they have correct do, they do yeah they, they do background okay checks. that's my understanding so I've never yeah, tried that's to buy my one. understanding too I don't, I don't think it used to be that way but recent recent yeah. uh, legislation has made I think that that's correct now mandatory. here in missouri we've got some legislation that does not allow <laughs> Pardon me, folks. I love my state of Missouri, but we've got some stuff that's strange. This is one of them. 
We have some legislation on the books in Missouri where law enforcement officials cannot share their data with federal agencies. So FBI, uh-huh. ATF, if you're if you're the Boone County Police or Boone County Sheriff or Columbia Police Department, you cannot share your data with those federal agencies. Like I'm not allowed to share. That it? is correct. It's against the law in Missouri. Why? <laughs> you have to ask the legislature. I mean, what the, what, the theory what, what, is? They're afraid that federal intervention in commerce here in Missouri. I think that's so. In some ways, it. it's the same. It's the same paranoia as yeah individuals. They don't want the federal government having information on them. Now, I can I can tell you, I've seen law enforcement officials who've been interviewed on this topic, and they've said this is hurting our ability to track crime. Exactly. They're for it, but they don't get a say in it. That makes absolutely no sense to me. <laughs> right, you Congress people. <laughs> I can't understand what they are protecting. I can't fathom in the least what the harm would be in that. I just don't, it just doesn't make any sense. I think it's back to this whole idea of we don't want Big Brother knowing what we're doing. Uh, so, but big, but big, big Brother does. Not in this case. They can't I get the not. data. I guess not. Gun violence deaths per 100,000 people in developed economies, 3.964 in the U.S., Per 100,000. Mm-hmm. 3.964. The next one is Cyprus. Good God. Per 1,000, they are 0. 0.628. compared to almost four. Right. The United States is 3.964. So let's roughly say four. Seven times the amount. Seven times, and that is gun violence deaths. 700% higher per 100,000 people over in- the number two finisher. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 7% higher. So, so th- not 7%, 700%. So we're back to this thing. As we start, we've come full circle. Why? Uh, I don't know. Fascination. Yeah. But it's, it's without a doubt in our cultural DNA. Very much so. Gun ownership, gun deaths. Yeah. Like no other country on earth. Before we go, I do want to say, because I'm very conscious of, I don't think we've enhanced anyone's life today, but how can we be encouraging or uplifting or what can we leave people with? We, we hope we were clear that we're not trying to provide answers today. Uh, we, we really just don't know that there is a solution or at least a single solution to this. But we did want you to feel like if, if you're feeling like us, that you're not alone. This is confusing. It's hard to understand. Uh, it's heartbreaking. And at times, it's personal. As I mentioned, this one gunman was in the town where my sister-in-law and brother live. Mm-hmm. Sister-in-law and brother-in-law live. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it becomes real in a hurry. And we just felt like we should talk about it. I don't know this is a case where we say it's going to get worse before it gets better, but... Yeah, I don't think we have any way of knowing. We don't. We don't have any way of knowing, and so I don't think that there's any encouragement or hope to be found in there. But I, I can say, it grieves our Creator just as much as it grieves us. If you're grieved by it, mm-hmm. if you're not grieved by it, or maybe a better way for me to say that is, if you are desensitized to it, I would encourage you to take some time and reflect on that. Am I desensitized because it's just saturated me so much that I don't even think about it? And you're talking about lives. Mm-hmm. The absolute worst. You know that phrase, uh, oh, you know that Hartley, he's the worst. 
You know, just that phrase. Right. He's the worst. Well, the worst of all people, you could you should be able to look at them and find something of value in them. Even a person who does not have very much good intention in their relationships or they're just not a happy person, I think it's possible you can find something of value to them. Lives are very important. Yep. And uh, we're losing them, and it doesn't seem to make sense. So we'll leave it at that and see see where we go from here. All right. All right. Great right. processing with you. Yes. As you. All right. This podcast is for the purposes of education, information, and entertainment only, and is not a replacement for the professional services of a financial advisor, financial planner, spiritual clergy, spiritual counselor, or spiritual director. We suggest you seek out a trained professional for help with your financial and spiritual needs. The views and opinions expressed by the host and guest of Faith, Finances, and F-Bombs are solely their current opinions based upon information they consider reliable, but do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations the host and guest may or may not be associated with in professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions provided by the podcast host and guest are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.